0: John 16. We started a new sermon series uh, last week titled Our Magna Carta. You see, the Magna Carta outlines the way the, the village church will function as a local church of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It will give us direction. It will hopefully give us vision. It will help us to be a little more intentional And some of the items in our Magna Carta are universal to all churches. And some things are just distinctive to our church. For example, the the first item in every church's Magna Carta isn't the people. It's not the people. It's not our ministry programs. It's not our conferences. It's not our Bible studies. It's not our worship service. It's not our outreaches. Every church's Magna Carta begins with the Holy Spirit begins with him. And if you were here last week, then you may remember that the Holy Spirit is our helper, sent to us by Jesus. As our helper, that means he is our comforter, our counselor, our advocate, our supporter, our ally, our advisor, our senior friend. He's here to help all of Jesus' disciples. He's here to help every local church of Christ. The Spirit helps us live out our other responsibilities in our Magna Carta. You see, all churches, regardless of where they're located, have a responsibility to continue Jesus' ministry mission of taking the gospel to the nations. We have that calling, we have that responsibility. And the Spirit helps us do it. He also helps us persevere through the sufferings that we will experience as we take the gospel to the nations. Please know you will meet opposition if you choose to engage in ministry work. If you choose to take the gospel to the nations, there will be resistance. There will be suffering. And the Holy Spirit helps all of God's people Persevere through that suffering. So the Spirit's work is essential to the church. We need him. We should welcome him because nothing gets done for God's kingdom apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Period. You can tweet that. You can hashtag that. You need to memorize that. Nothing in this life, in the life of the church, gets done unless the Spirit of God moves. And so we need to remember that. We need to live that. We need to believe it. And this morning we're going to look at another way in which the Spirit works. We're going to continue looking at his work in our life. We're going to look at his work of conviction. The Spirit's work of conviction because he is a spirit who convicts. And we're going to look at that today in John 16, beginning in verse 8. When he comes, that is the Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he would take what is mine and declare it to you. This is God's word. Please please pray with and for me. Father, as we come to the preaching of your truth, we need more than just a, a preacher. We need the Holy Spirit. That's who we need. We need him to, to move in our place, to move in our hearts, that when we leave here, we leave here different people, that he will speak into our life. He will speak into to those hard places of our life, Lord, and remind us of truth, that he will empower us to, to be salt and light to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to this community, to our families, that he would do in us what we cannot do ourselves. That is, help us draw closer to the heart of Christ, that he would do that, not for our glory, but for your glory and for our good. In your name I pray. Amen. The church is guilty of two errors, or it can be guilty of two errors when it comes to the Holy Spirit she can either overestimate him or she can underestimate him those who overestimate the spirit can tend to treat him as if the spirit is in this world for totally self promotional purposes that he's here for self promotion that he's here to glorify himself that he's here on his own authority that he's here you no know, self seeking purposes that he's here to stage a coup within the godhead that he's here to create his own tribe by the spiritual gifts that he gives. None of those things are true. See, the Spirit isn't on a self-promotional mission. He's not on a magic Holy Spirit bus going to all the churches in the world. That's not why he's here. Now, those who, on the other side, they have a tendency to, to underestimate him. They treat the Spirit as if his work in the world really isn't that essential. It's like, he, like, we give lip service to the Spirit, but when we look at the way we function, in our life and in the church, it communicates something different. A spiritless life, a spiritless church, a spiritless Christianity. Because we got everything. Our resources is why we have what we have. I went to seminary, I got a seminary degree, so that's all I need to be a preacher, right? Because I got the education. The spirit ends up just co signing on our plans and our projects and our agendas and our movements. The spirit submits to us and we don't worship him as the third person in the Godhead that way. None of those things are true either. The spirit does not submit to us, nor is he dictated to by us. He's not a puppet with strains that we control, nor is he a spiritual emoji that we just tag on to our life. To say, oh, I got the spirit now. Stamp it. No. We should not underestimate the spirit. We should not over underestimate him. We must approach the spirit with respect and honor. We must give him the honor due to his name. For he is the Holy Spirit, part of the Godhead, the Trinity. And in the Trinity there are three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And these three are one God, equal, same in substance, and equal in power and glory. So what does it mean for the spirit? He's equal with God, the Father and the Son, in power and glory. And when we approach him, we approach him as such, with respect and honor, due to him, because he is the third person in the Godhead. The Spirit isn't here to send to, he's not here to glorify himself. He's not here to speak on his own authority. He's not here to bear witness to himself. But he does have authority. He does have power. And he does have an important role. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? You see, in John 16, it isn't enough for Jesus just to, to promise the disciples a helper who, who will come and empower them and, and equip them to continue his ministry. No, he also has to begin to shape their theology of the Holy Spirit, their understanding of, of him and his work. And we need that same understanding. We need that same shaping. In John 14, 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He's the Helper. He's here to remind us of Jesus' teachings. Not our own teachings. Not our own agenda. Not our stuff. Jesus' teachings. In John thirteen, twenty-six, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send from you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So what's the Spirit here to do? To bear witness about Christ, not us, not himself. He is the Spirit of truth. John 16, verses 12 and 14, Jesus says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority. Wherever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and give them to you. What's the theme you hear? And What Jesus is teaching them about the disciples. Teaching disciples about the spirit. He the spirit of truth. He will guide you in all truth. And he's here to glorify Jesus. That's why he's here. Before Jesus sending into heaven, in Luke 24, verse 49, he tells the disciples, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. When were they clothed with power from on high? In Acts 2. But you know, they didn't begin their ministry until the Holy Spirit came. Jesus did not sin and Peter did rally the truth. Okay, Jesus is gone. All right, you guys, we're going to go tackle the world now. We're going to take the gospel now. No, they had to wait until they were clothed with power on high. Why? Because the spirit is necessary when it comes to the furtherance of God's kingdom in this world. They sat there until the spirit came. And when the spirit clothed them, we all know what happened at Pentecost. They went out in power. They went out in Jesus' name with power. See, the Spirit's role in the life of the church is essential. And your understanding of him is also essential. But do you believe both? Do you believe that? Does it show up in your life? Now, his work isn't just limited to the church. The Spirit also works in the world. Did you you know that? This is something that the disciples the eleven disciples has to understand. This is something that we have to understand about the Spirit. He also, his influence is felt in the world. One commentator said, the Spirit is sent to the church. He did, he, he lives within the church, but his influence is also felt by the world. It's felt by the world. The Spirit isn't on a personal holiday. He's on a mission. The world will influ- he will influence the world. The world will not influence him. The, spirit with, the world will fill the spirit's work of conviction. The spirit's work of conviction. Convict means to reprove, to refute, to expose. It means that to bring a person to a point of seeing wrongdoing. It's a, to declare class the one guilty. It's a legal term. And F.F. Bruce says that the spirit here functions as a counsel for the prosecution. That means he's a DA. He's a district attorney. And he has done all the research. He has gotten all the evidence, facts, and proofs. And now he's getting ready to cross-examine the world. And when he cross-examined the world, you know what he's going to show them? He's going to expose us. He's going to refute us. He's going to disprove us. He's going to bring conviction to the world. Verse 8, Jesus tells the disciples, when the spirit of truth comes, he will convict the world. The world isn't talking about the planet earth. The world is a reference to people. People who are in rebellion against God. That's what he's talking about. That's the world he's referring to. Their people, their systems, their ideals, their kingdoms that do not submit to Christ are in rebellion against Christ. It's people who don't know him and saving faith people who don't trust him, people who have not surrendered to him in faith. Now, these people can be good moral people. They can pay their taxes. They can even go to church. They can still be good moral people. They can be immoral people. They can be good conservative Republicans or progressive Democrats. It doesn't matter who they are. If they don't know Jesus, they're going to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. That's offensive, I know. But the good news of the gospel is that you can be rescued. Jesus the spirit brings conviction to some in this world and he's going to cross examine them for the purpose of showing them their need for a savior a need for a redeemer when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin righteousness and judgment he's going to offer a clear understanding of what those things mean from Christ's point of view Remember, he's here to bear witness to Jesus, not us, not people, not the church, Jesus. Now, he will use us when it comes to bringing this conviction. He will use us, but it's him doing the work. You see, all people in the world know that there is something wrong with humanity. Look at the news. Read the newspaper. You cannot look at the world and think humanity is is, is good. Now, we have glimpses of good, but if you look at the world, you see a lot of bad things. Why is that? Why? Why do people put on bomb a vest and go and blow up people? Why? Why do we have crime? Why do we have discrimination? Why do we have these things happening in the world? Is it just because we're flawed people? Is it just because we're imperfect people? Many in the world would say, when they talk about humanity and our condition, they will say, well, we're just flawed people. We're just imperfect people. Please know, people in rebellion against God would never see themselves as sinners, naturally. They, they would not naturally see that, that we are born into sin. Left to ourselves, we would never have that conviction. We won't have that a biblical view of what sin is, according to the Bible, apart from the Spirit. And sin is more than just actions and behaviors. It's more than that. It's a heart problem. And that can be self righteousness or unrighteousness. It doesn't matter. John Piper says what makes sin sin is not first that it hurts people, but that it blasphemies God. That so the ultimate evil and the ultimate outrage in the universe is that it blasphemies God. The glory of God is not honored. The holiness of God is not reverence. The greatness of God is not admired. The power of God is not praised. The truth of God is not sought. The wisdom of God is not esteemed. The beauty of God is not treasured. The goodness of God is not savored. The faithfulness of God is not trusted. The promises of God is not relied upon. The commandments of God is not obeyed. The justice of God is not respected. The wrath of God is not feared. The grace of God is not treasured. The presence of God is not prized. The person of God is not loved. That's sin, according to John Piper. That's sin. It's rebellion and independence from God. It's separation from God. It's unbelief in Jesus. And that's what Jesus says in verse 9. The spirit will convict the world concerning sin because they don't believe in me. What does he mean by that? He will convict the world of sin and sin because people in the world don't believe in me. They don't trust me. They have not surrendered to me in faith. It's unbelief. We believe we really don't need a Savior. That somehow that we are truly autonomous. That we really don't need a say We're really not that bad. Now those people are bad. The people I see on TV, they're bad. I'm not bad. God doesn't grave on a curve. He's not a student professor, not a college professor. He doesn't grave on a curve. Your goodness can send you to hell, and your evilness can send you to hell. The only way you get free from both is through a savior. And that savior is Jesus. He's the only one that can set you free. And there are plenty of people in our country who are lost, trying to find salvation in other things. Whoever sits in the over office, red and blue parties, those are man-made things. They are not Jesus. And only the church has the message of hope. Only the church has a message that can make things great again. And that's the gospel. And if we don't believe that, we ain't going to take it to other people. We have to believe it. That the greatest need for people who don't know Jesus is Jesus. And if they don't know Jesus, you can't expect them to believe and behave as if they do. We carry the responsibility to take this message to the dying world. And the Holy Spirit uses us. He uses us. Our testimony, our witness to bring this good news to others, to teach them what it means to be separated from God. That's the bad news. But there's good news too. Because there was a payment made for all of our sins. And that's why when the Spirit convicts the world concerning righteousness, that's what He's going to also do. He's not just going to tell them, oh, you messed up and leave it there. That would be awful. But he also has a way for you to be made right. And it's this righteousness that he's going to convict the world of. The spirit will convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Well, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, they're not going to see me any longer. Jesus' journey to the Father isn't going to be a fun road trip to daddy's house. He's not packing the disciples up in the minivan and they're going cross country. His way to the Father was through the cross. His way back home was through suffering. His way back to glory was being beaten and crucified and and died as a criminal. That was his way back to the Father. And understand, Jesus was 100% righteous. Did you know that? When he lived on this earth, 100% righteous, 100% perfect, 100% holy. Hebrews tells us he knows what it's like to be us, yet without sin. Think about that. He was without sin when he walked upon this earth. We can't even imagine what that's like to be without sin. I can't. Jesus can But yet he died a sinner's death on the cross. Think about that. 100% perfect. 100% innocent. 100% holy. And yet he died a sinner's death on the cross. Why? Why? Because of you, because of me, our sin. His death was payment for our sin to God. That's why he came. That's why he came. But do you approach him as such? Do you see him as such? He's more than just a prophet. He's more than just a good man. He was the substitution lamb of God for the sins of the world. He takes your place on the cross. Please know that cross was meant for you. Those nails that went in his body were meant for you. That thorn that went on his head was meant for you. That whipping he got by those Romans was meant for you. Well, because he loved you, he took the beating for you. Who in this world is going to take a beating for his enemy? Who in this world is going to hang on a cross for people who don't love him or respect him or honor him? Who? I love you, but I ain't going to die for you. But Jesus will. But Jesus will. And he did. He did. But do you believe it? Have you surrendered to it? Have you come to him? He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Either he's lying, either he's a liar, or he's telling the truth. They ain't both ends. Either he's lying here, either he's lying, or he's telling the truth. Peter says in Acts 4, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven. Among men by which we must be saved. Either Peter's telling the truth or he's lying. It's not both and. This is either truth or a lie. You may say, where am I saved from? From judgment. From wrath. Sin has placed us under the wrath of God. That's what has placed us under. You say, well, I'm not experiencing any wrath now. Well, on the last day, it will be poured out when Christ returns. And if you want to be freed from that judgment, then you have to be covered in the blood of the Lamb. Because he's the only way that washes away all your sin, past, present, and future. But again, do you believe it? Do you believe it? The Spirit lives in all of us who are believers. Paul says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5-21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the righteousness that the Spirit's going to convict the world of. That righteousness. It's not a, a moral type of righteousness that, that I'm, more, I'm righteous because I do good things, because I'm, I'm a good person, and because I go to church on Sunday. It's not that type of righteousness. If it was that type of righteousness, there's a lot of people who would be righteous. It's not me giving money to the poor type of righteousness. It's not making sure my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. It's not me helping my neighbor and cutting my neighbor's grass. Those things are good, but those things don't give me brownie points with God. Romans 3 tells us that none is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You may say, well, I see a lot of people doing good. God's view of good and my view of good is totally different. God's view of good when you're doing things that honor him, where he is in control, that's his view of good, 100% perfect. That's what he demands, perfection. Not some of the time, not part time. That means you need to be perfect 24-7. Even in your sleep, perfect. Perfect. Without issue. Not ever getting mad. Not ever thinking bad thoughts. That's the kind of perfection he demands. And ain't no one in this world can say, I'm that perfect. And if you can't say that, then you need a Savior. Then you need a Savior. So this convicting work of the Spirit... It will prove that a world's view of righteousness is not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. Our view of righteousness is not enough. There's no good deed you can do that can save you from God's wrath. There's no good deed that you can do that can make you right with the Father. Why? Because Christ already did it. He's already did it. And so, if you think about it, I'm either going to be standing on Jesus' record or I'm going to stand on my record. Which record are you standing on? Which record do you think is going to make you right? Which record do you think God is going to receive? If you take him your record, I can tell you how that's going to go. Well, when you stand on what Jesus has done, his record, what's his record? He died on the cross. And he was resurrected in power. That's his record. He paid a price. Please note, sin demands a sacrifice. It demands payment. It demands blood, not good works. If Christ could have saved us from his good works, he didn't need to die. Because he was good. He lived a perfect life. But he still had to make payment for the sin. And so when it comes to making yourself right with God, it requires your blood. That's what it requires, blood. And Jesus has already shed the blood. Will you receive it? Will you rest in it? Will you rest in it? Think about it. Resting in Jesus' blood is like laying in a hammock on a nice summer day. Resting in it. You got a hammock, you know it's very comfortable. You just sit there and and just sleep away. That's the blood. Will you rest in it? The righteousness that God requires is righteousness through faith in Christ Jesus to all who be that's the righteousness the spirit will bear witness to that righteousness and it's available to anyone it's available to us now because Jesus went back he just didn't stay in the grave if he stayed in the grave guess what I, I, what I'm doing is meaningless this is, this, this is worthless he was also resurrected in power so it's not just enough for him to die He had to also be resurrected. We don't just have a crucified Savior, we have a resurrected Savior who is seated right now next to God in glory, still interceding on our behalf. But did you believe it? He went back to the Father in victory. And through this resurrected Christ, people can be made right with God. Righteousness through faith. And this is what the Spirit is going to convict people of. Thirdly, the Spirit is going to convict, convict concerning judgment. That's what Jesus says in verse 11. That when the Spirit comes, you will convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. The ruler of this world, who is he referring to? Yes, not referring to people or systems or programs. Satan, the enemy, the spiritual forces of evil. And Jesus said he has already been judged. Now, what does he mean by that? It means the enemy ain't ever coming up for parole anytime soon. That's what he means. That so he's on the death row. He ain't ever going to get out of There will be no present escape for him. He won't ever be set free. His doom is sure. And he says in John, in, John, in verse 31, now the judgment of this world is come. Now the rule of this world will be cast out. He would be cast out. When was Satan cast out? On, the, on Calvary. At the resurrection. We just sung about it. Jesus has already overcome. You know what that means when we say that? He's already won the victory. The enemy is already defeated. We already know how this ends. In the end, we win. Now, we may suffer in between but our final destination has already been taken care of. There ain't nothing anyone can do to snatch it away. This judgment that he speaks of is, again, is not just for the enemy, but this judgment is also upon those who don't know Christ, those who don't believe in him as Lord and Savior. And in, verse, in John 12:47, he says, if anyone hears my word and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me doesn't, and doesn't accept my teaching, has this as his judge, the word that I have spoken. What did he say? He's already told you how you can be made right. He's already told you how you can have your sins washed away. And if you don't come, he says this word has already judged you. But will you come? Now, if you don't know Jesus... Today is the day for you to make a profession of faith to Him. And if you already know Him, then you need to continue to rest in Him, relying on Him. So if you want forgiveness of your sins, then Jesus is the way to get forgiveness of your sins. He is the one that makes you right with God, He is the one who can set you free from your sin. And this is the gospel. This is the good news that those of us who know Jesus, we are supposed to take to the world, to this city, to our neighborhood, to our friends, in our schools, in our community. This is good news. You say, Well, Alice, what if they don't believe it? That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is just to teach it. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction unto saving faith. Again. Taking the gospel to the nations is part of our Magna Carta here at the Village Church. And you don't have to do that in your own power. Everything that Christ says there, conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment is the work of the Holy Spirit. He simply uses you as a tool. And it's an honor and a privilege to be used as a tool for God's purposes. But do you believe it? And will you let the Holy Spirit use you in this way for God's glory to further his kingdom in this city? Will you? Will I? Let us pray. Father God, I do confess that I don't always want to share the gospel. I don't always want to be about your business. It's so easy to get caught up in the busyness of life, schedules, and kids' sports, and school, and schedules that that sometimes I just forget.